Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for May 30th, 2010. We're going to do a section here on the Gulf oil spill. The first article is from the Associated Press, and it's entitled, Scientists Newly Discovered Gulf Oil Plume is 22 miles long, 6 miles wide. Marine scientists have discovered a massive new plume of what they believe to be an oil oil deep beneath the Gulf of Mexico, stretching 22 miles from the leaking wellhead northeast toward Mobile Bay, Alabama. The discovery by researchers on the University of South Florida College of Marine Science, Science's Weatherbird 2 vessel is the second significant undersea plume recorded since the Deepwater Horizon exploded on April 20th. The thick plume was detected just beneath the surface, down to 3,300 feet. So it was just beneath the surface, all the way down. So it was essentially 3,300 feet thick, 22 miles long, and 6 miles wide. That's gigantic. This was said by David Hollander, Associate Professor of the Chemical Oceanography at this school, that we, uh, University of South Florida, Marine Sciences. The first such plume was detected by scientists stretched from the well southwest toward the open sea. But the new undersea oil cloud is headed miles inland into shallower waters where many fish and other species reproduce. The researchers say that they are worried these undersea plumes may be the result of the unprecedented use of chemical dispersants to break up an oil a mile undersea under uh, at the site of the leak. And again, these chemical dispersants, we're going to talk about that more today, are to me the most asinine things they could have possibly have done. Yeah, let's make sure that we can't even get to the oil by putting dispersants on it, which break it up into little droplets, and then we're going to put more toxic chemicals in the water, and then when these things break up, they sink below the surface so we can't get to it. We can't vacuum the oil up anymore by, by super tankers. We can't burn the oil anymore because it's underwater. That's why I'm telling you it's all by design. These dispersants are, are insane to use them at all. What, what are we going to do? We're going to break up the oil and then let nature take its course? That's essentially what the whole rationale behind dispersants are. Let's break up the oil in little tiny droplets. It's still going to be in there. And then now you've got the chemicals from the dispersants. And we'll let nature take its course. Oh, great. Let's let that all that oil absorb into the food chain and into the water and into the bottom and, and into the plants. And That's a smart idea. No, they're doing it on purpose. And like I said last week, it's not me saying that. It's all the evidence that's coming out that's saying that. Uh, let's go further. Hollander said the oil they detected has dissolved into the water and is no longer visible, leading to fears from the researchers that the toxicity from the oil and the dispersants could pose a big danger to fish larvae and creatures that filter the food for waters for the food. It's also going to kill off all the plankton in the waters, which is really the base of the food chain in the sea, create these gigantic dead zones in the water where there's no oxygen, uh, I even saw a report on the other day how when you kill off all the plankton, how that's going to adversely affect the weather. And they made a pretty convincing case. I'm not going to go over that today, but it could, it could actually really adversely affect the weather rainfall. And they showed you all the reasons why. Uh, it's a little technical, but um, that could happen as well. So he says there are two elements to it, Hollander said. The plume reaching waters on the continental shelf could have a toxic effect on fish larvae. And we may also see a long-term response as it cascades up the food web. I mean, this is going to be in the food chain now. It's 
there. It's There's nothing at this point they can do about it because of the dispersants because it's all broken up, most of this oil. Dispersants contain surfactants, which are similar to dishwashing soap. Surfactants, what they do is it, is it decreases surface tension, and it's one of the attributes of soap that allows you to get rid of dirt and break it up and, and get rid of it. It's fine if you're washing your hands, but it's another thing if you're dump, dumping this garbage into the ocean where there's no place for it to go other than in the ocean. A Louisiana State University researcher who has studied their effects on marine life said that the breaking oil into small particles, surfactants make it easier for fish and other animals to soak up the oil's toxic chemicals. Oh, and I know they didn't, they didn't know that before they did it. No. They had no clue. They're just all innocent, every one of them. And then it says that can impair the animal's immune systems and cause reproductive problems. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and this is just more evidence of that. Uh, here is a, uh, this is from Comcast.net under News Politics. It's in, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. Staff members at an agency that oversees offshore drilling accepted tickets to sports events, lunches, and other gifts from oil and gas companies and used government computers to view pornography, according to an Interior Department report alleging a culture of cronyism between the regulators and the industry. In at least one case, an inspector from the Minerals Management Service admitted using crystal methamphetamine and said he might have been under the influence of this drug the next day at work, according to the report by Acting Inspector General of the Interior Department. So this is great. So in other words, you know, this shouldn't surprise us, but the oil companies and the governmental regulators, the governmental inspectors many times were in collusion, and they were, you know, tickets to sporting events, they were getting all kind of perks, and they were reviewing pornography on their computer. The one guy was using crystal meth, which is like the, probably the worst drug on the planet just about, as far as being addictive. I would want somebody, you know, doing crystal meth to expect my oil rig. I mean, if I wanted a favorable outcome. Oh, yeah, that's great. You know, I, I inspected everything, you know. But that's what evidently is going on. And this did come out in the news, but all they really talked about was their how people were being, this one guy they sent to an LSU football game, and the, but they didn't talk about the pornography, and they didn't talk about the crystal meth and, and these other things that was going on as well. Uh, next article, again, more confirmation here of this. Uh, federal regulators responsible for the oversight of drilling in the Gulf of Mexico allowed inter- industry to officials several years ago under the Bush administration, and I'm sure they're doing it today, to fill in their own inspection reports in pencil and then turn them over to the regulators who traced over them with a pen before submitting the reports to the agency. Sounds like something you do in like third grade or fourth or fifth, you know, to try to cheat. Or according to an inspector general's report to be released this week, the report which describes inappropriate behavior by the staff at the Minerals Management Service from 2005 to 2007. Also were found that inspectors had accepted meals, tickets to sporting events, and gifts from at least one oil company while they were overseeing the industry. This is very much like when a uh, MD, and this happens all the time, they, um, the drug reps come in, okay, from the pharmaceutical companies, and they're like, hey, here's our newest drug. And yeah, it has this laundry list of side effects, 
But this is the newest thing. This is the flavor of the week drug. And everybody that comes in with high cholesterol or depression or whatever, you can put them on this new drug, and if you sell a certain amount of this drug, well, guess what? You get your gold-plated pin-seeker golf club, or you get a, a free trip to the Caribbean, or you get, like, a double betrayal bowling ball cover, or a genuine imitation naga hide. Sorry, I threw that one in. You know, or whatever, you know, you get. But they've got all these perks that they give them, and it's well known they do this. So the, 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 the person that comes in with this thing, the doctor is not thinking what's best for them so much as how can I sell more of this drug to them? How can I move more of this drug? Because I really want that trip to the Caribbean or I really want those pin secret golf clubs or whatever they're going to get. It happens all the time. And this is kind of reminded me of that when I saw this. So let's go further. Now, I'm not saying all doctors are all corrupt, all MDs are all corrupt, but I'm saying they are in a very corrupt system, dominated by pharmacia. The pharmaceutical companies are essentially the ones that have a gigantic, if, if they don't outright own certain colleges, and I've got into this before, where they, where they had the, uh, um, the control over most of the medical colleges that were revamped in the early 1900s, the, most of the financial control, and they set two people on each board, and, and G. Edward Griffith gets into this, uh, he does a brilliant presentation on this, and how they put two people on the board of directors for each college, and how they help them design curriculum, and that when this all started happening around the turn of the 1900s, this was when all diseases and all maladies started having um, a drug protocol to treat them. Now, you can't drug your body into good health. It's impossible. Drugs generally don't cure anything, generally. Okay, even an antibiotic, well, it got rid of my infection. Yeah, at the expense of devastating your immune system and killing all the healthy flora in your intestine. Sure, it did that. Yeah, you got rid of the infection temporarily, but you keep going on those antibiotics and you're, you're killing all the flora, which predisposes you to candida and yeast. And that's not just a woman thing. Most people are walking around loaded with candida and yeast, and it gets into your bloodstream. You do a live cell blood analysis, and you'll see the candida colonies all over. Okay, that's a whole other subject. But even something like an antibiotic that they say would cure something, there's a big-time price you end up paying for that. Now, there are certain things you can do to offset that. You can take flora, and you can do things to boost your own immune system. I'm not saying that drugs are never necessary. Okay, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying that there's certain... If you rely on them for health, that is crazy because you cannot drug your body into good health. It's impossible. All drugs have side effects. All drugs create liver toxicity. You can go on and on and on. And um, this is the thing that, you know, happens with them. And when that happened in the early 1900s where all the medical colleges started going over to a chemical drug protocol this is literally pharmacia, or the pharmacy, which is where we derive the root word for sorcery in the King James Bible, pharmacia. When that started happening, uh, what did that produce for the pharmaceutical companies? Well, it produced reoccurring revenue. Pharmaceutical companies are, you know, publicly traded stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, and their main goal is to make money. And the best way to make money consistently is through reoccurring revenue. Once you go on a drug, you got to stay on it, and then typically you have to take more eventually because your receptors get um, desensitized. 
the drug receptors. So you got to either take more or switch the prescription and or take more drugs to counteract the side effects from the drugs you're taking. So that's just the way it works. It's, it's all about getting them on more and more and more and more drugs to the point when they've swept these symptoms under the rug through the drugs for so long that now they're a surgical candidate, which is what happens with a lot of people. Um, for instance, heart disease. Okay. Well, oh, your cholesterol's high, and you need to do this, and you need to take that, and, and you do all these drugs for all these years, and you're still placking up because they don't have anything to give you that will de-plaque your arteries until the point when you have a heart attack, even though you've been on all these drugs. Well, now we need to do open-heart surgery, we need to put some stints in, or we need to do angioplasty, or we need to do this or that, which is the secondary way they really start making money then. Okay? Whereas if you just took, like in heart disease, for instance, if you took an uh, enzyme called natokinase, uh, N-A-T-T-O-K-I-N-A-S-E, I would take it from Naturally Vitamins. You can go up on HerbsPro.com. I believe it's HerbsPro.com. I believe they have the best prices on it. Take like five natokinase a day on an empty stomach. Empty stomachs are very important. And then also go up there and get the EDTA chelation. EDTA, which is a proven uh, thing that, that deplacks the arteries. Natokinase does it as well, but they do it from two totally different angles. Natokinase is an enzyme that actually creates thinner blood naturally without taking rat poison, which is the wayfarin um, or the coumadin, which literally is rat poison. Natural way you can do that is through that, but you never take them together. Okay? Um, now, this is what I would do if it was me. Okay? I can't render medical advice, but I'm telling you, if it was me, this is how I would approach it. Take natokinase, five a day, huh? Let's take some chelation. If you go up to herbspro.com, they've got chelation, EDTA, I believe it's from Arizona National Naturals. Take their chelation. It's cheap stuff, not very expensive, four or five capsules a day. Take them both empty stomach. You're going to deplaque the arteries. It's not going to happen overnight. If you're not, if you're 100% plaqued in your arteries and, and um, you're in that position where you have no choice to get stints or whatever, well, then you're beyond the point of, of that helping. But if you're not there yet, that's what I would do if it was me. And then you take a product for your heart, like Cardio Plus from Standard Process. Or Innate Vitamin or Innate Response Formulas has a cardio response. You want to take something to support the heart as well. Because the other two, the natokinase and the EDTA, do don't do anything to actually support the heart muscle. But anyway, if if people would just do that and detoxify the liver, which is really important as well. Um, and again, a good detox. Go into a health food store and ask them, what is a really good like liver bowel detox? They'll tell you. You know? And get the better kind if you can afford it. Get, don't, don't, don't go to Walmart and try to do this. You know? Or, or Walgreens. Because you're going to get garbage, most likely. Try to go to a good health food store and... and and see what they recommend. You know, start slow on detoxes because you can have a Herxheimer reaction, which is a die-off reaction, or your body's trying to get rid of the toxins. But just if you would just do that, cleanse the liver, cleanse the bowel, like in for heart disease, do those few things I said. You know, we we would we would see an absolute total plummeting of deaths from heart disease in this country if people would just do that. You know. One other thing, caveat there, is if you have blood sugar that's out of control, that will plaque you up about as quick as anything 
that you could ever do. So you have to get your blood sugar under control. And, um, you know, if you're insulin dependent, that becomes very dicey. So, you know, be careful regarding that situation. Um, you can email me. I have, a, I have a newsletter on blood sugar issues. I have one on cardiovascular issues. I'll send it to you for free. You can email me at drjohnson at the letter i, the letter x, dot netcom, n-e-t-c-o-m dot com. And I'll give you some things that, way more suggestions. If it were me, what you might want to try, and there's a disclaimer there, you know, the whole, I have to put the disclaimers in there. Um, but this isn't anything radical or, or whatever. This is just common sense stuff that we, has been withheld from us. Um, and it's been at the um, in the interest of the pharmaceutical lobby, which essentially controls the hospitals, which essentially controls the colleges where the MDs are trained, to suppress this information, to demonize it, and label anyone that's in alternative nutrition as quacks. The problem is, is most people that are in alternative nutrition, many of them are quacks, because they're into every other new age technique on the planet, which is something God pulled me out of a long time ago. I am not accepting any more new patients. I'm just giving out advice for free at this point. I can't take any more new patients. The, the, this ministry is essentially runs off whatever donations that we have that come in, and I have, haven't been able to take donations, or I haven't been able to take any more new patients for a long time because of the overwhelming amount of email that I'm getting at this point. So I've had to prioritize. So I'm trying to help as many people as I can. And to do that, I really have to focus in on the internet and my weekly teachings. There's not a whole lot more. Because I have people email me and say, oh, I need a consult, or I need this, or I need that. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's a ton of people that want to have sit-downs with me, that want to have consults with me. And I just, I'm only one person. I can only do so much. And um, I can only, I'm trying to help the maximum amount of people. And in order to do that, I've had to go to this format. I don't have a ministry where I've got all these people that I'm, 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 you know, that are here doing stuff. Um, I'm pretty much um, doing this on my own. Uh, I, I do have a lot of people that actually put up the teachings on the internet on different various sites, but I don't have anything to do with a lot of those websites. Just so you know, the only website I have anything to do with is ContendingForTruth.com. That's it. So anyway, just want to clarify some things, kind of give you that information there. Um, wasn't really planning on it, just kind of came out. So let's go further here. Uh, let's see. Well, again, going back to this article, Mineral Management Services official who received cash bonuses for meeting federal deadlines on leasing offshore oil and gas exploration frequently alter their own documents and bypass legal requirements aimed at ensuring drilling does not imperil the marine environment, the documents show. This has dramatically weakened the scientific checks and offshore drilling that were established under landmark laws such as the Marine Mammal Protection Act and the Environmental Policy Act, according to those who have worked with MMS, which is part of the Interior Department. Next article. Oil spill brings death in the ocean from top to bottom. It has been an hour since our sport fishing boat started streaking through the freshly oil-soaked marshes of Pass a Latour, but we're still only halfway through the slick. 18 miles out, and the stink of the oil is everywhere. 
rashes of red-brown sludge are smeared across vast swaths. Now, that's a very dangerous place to be. What's happening is, is the men that were working on their fishing boats or their shrimping boats, now they're all out of work. And they're probably going to be out of work permanently, at least in that area. Well, they're the ones now that are being employed by BP to go out there in the cleanup project. And they're all getting sick now. Remember what we talked about last week with the benzene? How it's the mother of all carcinogens? Well, it's a very, very dangerous place to be. It's in the middle of this stuff. And again, this could be the very reason that they implement an evacuation of Florida because they could say, well, the air quality is getting so poor because the benzene is robbing all the oxygen out of the air and it's cancer-causing that we're going to have to start evacuating, the East Coast in particular. So, again, it would be the perfect excuse for them to do something like this, which would really kind of be like a trial run to martial law. They start with Florida. Florida's easy to contain. It's just this little spit of land, most of it. And they can cordon off the top, and they can control it. And, um, you know, trust me, I'm here. I'm in southwest Florida. So I'm, I'm very much praying and, and keep an eye on this. Pray for, you know, the people and the body of Christ in these areas, uh, Louisiana and coastal areas of Mississippi and Alabama and Florida, because... Some really, really bad stuff could go down very, very soon, and we're going to look at that more in the next article. Uh, let's see here. Rashes of red-brown sludge are smeared across vast swaths, vast swaths of water. Between them, a swell rendered faintly psychedelic with a rainbow-colored swirls. Cutting the engines, we slide to a stop near Rig 313. We're not supposed to be in the restricted zone, but other than the dispersant spraying aircraft passing overhead, there's no one to see us. So the only thing they're really doing... There's no, there, there's no massive cleanup going on. They're just spraying more, more, more uh, chemicals and garbage into the oceans, all they're really doing. Despite the thick oil, we've seen only two cleanup boats out of the 1,150 that the response claims to have on site. One was broken down and the other was towing it. That's, that's good. We got, you know, 1,150 boats and, you know, one's broken down the other one's towing it. Sounds like a good use of our resources. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable what's going on there. And uh, this is pretty typical from what I've been seeing. Yeah, I know they just did the whole photo op with, with Barack, uh, Barry Sotoro Obama that was down there and they had all these people on the beach and BP. It was a, it was a photo op. And they had all these people in white pants and, and, you know, in their chemical suits or whatever. And they were cleaning up the beach and all this other garbage. And I, I've seen these pictures of the marshes. And, I mean, it looks like just a literal, the oil is all coalesced and concentrated in there, a lot of it. And the only thing I can think of to do would be to burn it. They should have burned it before it ever got there. They should have sucked it up before it ever got there. But again, they're doing it all by design. Because the more that seeps into the marshes, it's never going to get out of there by itself. You can't suck that up anymore. It's into the plant life. It's into all... There's nothing there. Everything's dead where it's at. So it's not like if you lit it on fire, you're going to kill anything anymore because it's all dead there. And it's just going to continue to be dead. But... No, we can't do anything. We're just going to let it sit here. And even these guys that are jumping up and down, like Jindel and all these other guys, these mayors and stuff, you know, we want to put a berm of, of sand up before it reaches the marshes. Give me a break. That's not, number one, it's not going to stop the oil. 
it's it's yeah, some's going to wash up, but the oil will will go around it. You can't build up a big enough of a berm where it's never going to reach these areas. Is there's just no way? I think that that solution is just about as crazy as just doing nothing. Because the oil, the bottom line, is still going to be there. And when you have thousands of, of barrels coming out per day, the problem is just not going to fix itself. It has to be stopped at the source. And, and again, this is just such a scam, what is going on right now. And uh, as, as we've reported last week, you know, order out of chaos. This is the chaos they've created. And we're going to take a look more at that right now as well. This was a uh, just an update. I'm just going to hit the high points of an update I got this week from um, Hawk, Greg, Greg Evanson, and Steve Quayle. You know, I understand it's not as though I'm in 100% endorsing every single thing that comes out of their mouth. I don't know. I don't think they even know, okay, um, exactly what's going on. But I have gotten six different confirmations by different unrelated sources that there may be a possible evacuation of Florida, bare minimum the East Coast, and at bare minimum the elderly and children and these types of things. Um, it's not as though I'm just relying on Steve Quayle or Hawk or Greg Everson, who was a former state trooper. I've gotten other reports from unrelated sources saying the same thing. Is it mainstream news? Of course not. But it never is. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, take it for what it is, but I'm going to go ahead and at least touch on it. Uh, According to this broadcast, this broadcast from Hawk, who's a guy that uh, is up on Steve Quayle's website, uh, who does, has a radio broadcast. According to this broadcast, troops, including foreign, are stationed every 500 miles in case of an evacuation of the Gulf. Here's some excerpts from the show. Now, this is an actual website giving their take on Hawk's broadcast. Uh, excerpts from the show. Reports are that the protocols that are being developed, what they're doing is bringing together primary battle groups, people that can actually be engaged in combat, reinforced by foreign troops at 500 intervals, 500-mile intervals. Every 500 miles you have a concentration of battle groups so that the flow of people, when it becomes beyond anything we've ever seen, they will have the communication hubs in place. Overall command in the U.S., including U.N.-appointed officers, also including Russian officers, um, 40 million people potentially to be evacuated. This is kind of abbreviated when I'm reading you. That does not include the people on the East Coast. If this happens, you could see an, potentially another uh, 10 million. Uh, let's see here. The, then they got a report from a New, Mex- New Mexican state police officer. He said to me, there are reports that there have been previously unseen ground units emerging from otherwise inactive areas in the desert southwest, possibly foreign or coming from underground areas. Remember these underground bases we've talked about? Well, they're there, and who knows what's coming out of them. But and it said these these um, groups were heading east. Now, this is important. It says July fifteenth to the twentieth is the potential for saturation point where human habitation would start to be in jeopardy. I believe they're talking about Florida. Now, again, it's hard to be dogmatic because nobody really knows how much oil's pouring out. Also, has to do with the wind patterns and. A lot of different, I would imagine, highs and low pressure areas, rain patterns. Um, 
it has to do with a lot of different things. But they're saying June 15th to 20th is the potential for a saturation point where human habitation would be in jeopardy. In other words, where this benzene level would get to such a level that it would actually be hazardous to even be, you know, in in um, certain areas. And, and they're really talking about the east coast of Florida. The elderly, the sick, and the young could die first. Again, I don't want people going crazy here. These are best estimates at the time for the worst cause case scenario. Phase one would be deep down in the coast with a time frame from July 1st to July 10th as a potential when levels would reach, when people would need to evacuate. Uh, the potential is to affect 50 million people in Florida. Worst case scenario, again, these numbers were given to me by folks who are working on this plan. This could be up to 200,000 state, county, and local police personnel and upwards to 300,000 volunteers and regular staff that would be affected. This is not counting the military. Border enforcement will collapse as all available law enforcement are taken up. All civilian assets would be basically abandoned. So in other words, you know, whatever you can't carry away from your house, if you were, if, if you were put in this position, you're going to have to abandon. So... These are things to think about. These folks are charged with planning for every case, including worst-case scenario, and this, of course, would affect worst-case scenario. We have been warned that there will be disinformation campaign against this information that we just read. The editor, the editor of this article noted, he said, could this be why we've had reports of UN troops in San Diego and Florida? This is really starting to get intense. In no way are we posting this to cause fear. Our job is to get information to the people and let them decide. And I would say, to add to that, this isn't a safe guy, but pray and, and fast about it if you're not sure. Personally, I don't even know what to believe at this point. This is what this editor is saying. Just reporting on Hawk's update, it just seems this report may be somewhat coincidence with the intel we've been receiving. In other words, it, it's confirming the intel he's receiving. Is it a coincidence? Well, I don't know. I mean, when you get six or seven confirmations... It starts to become more than coincidence, usually. The thing that stuck, struck me most about this part of the radio broadcast is when Hawk talked about the disinformation campaign that will be launched to deny these facts. The Intel Hub has had many real patriots agree and disagree with our UN troops story, but there's also been a fair amount of what I would call trolls. Now, those are the little guys that walk around with the little sticks on their back and they live under bridges, the trolls. Sorry, sorry about that. Anyway, um, I give you the link to listen to both these interviews, Hawk and Steve Quayle. Pray about it. Decide. You know. Now, I had I've had people say, "Well, how many times does Steve Quayle have to be wrong before?" Listen, you could say the same thing about me. Okay, you could say the same thing about a lot of people. But you know what? You know what I believe? Let's take this H1N1 thing that never ended up happening. Why was it averted? The reason, the primary reason I did those broadcasts, and I really believe it's the primary reason people like Steve Quayle and Hawk do these broadcasts, and a lot of other ministries, is to warn the body of Christ so that they will get on their knees and pray and fast, if so led, so that God will avert these things. I'll give the Lord Jesus Christ the glory. But if we do nothing, and we just sit back and, and, and live in an ivory tower and, and think, oh, nothing's ever going to happen. If we're never told about any of these things, and no prayer is going up regarding these things, well, to me, there's going to be a lot higher likelihood that bad things are going to happen. Because God's people are doing nothing to avert it. Now, there's going to come a point when 
You know, and again, you pray, may the Lord's will be done, not mine, but the Lord's will be done, just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, there's going to come a time when this stuff starts to go down. It's going to be his will, and no matter what we do, it's going to happen. Doesn't mean God, the Lord Jesus Christ, can't protect you. Doesn't mean he can't give you discernment to know what to do ahead of time. Um, so, but bear in mind, you know, there's, that's coming, and it could be coming this week when this, when this stuff starts to go down. I gave you another, some other links here on YouTube of thousands and thousands of UN vans that were photographed in Florida. And um, this has been, there's an update here to this. Uh, now, this, you can, at least I checked it the other night, it was on Google Earth, and there were thousands and thousands and thousands of UN vans on an abandoned airstrip in, uh, let me just see exactly what town it was. Okay, so what what the video is in, in regard to is thousands of UN vehicles are possibly staging at Reynolds Air Park in Green Cove Springs, Florida. This facility is located near train tracks. There are multiple storage containers for equipment and gear as well. They give you the coordinates. The imagery is from time-stamped 2010 Google Maps, so we know it's fairly recent. Okay, and again, I looked at it, and it's there, and and but... What's happened is, is there's been an update, and the update is, as of now, there's confirmation that there are no vehicles there now at all, and there were thousands. It appears the vehicles have been moved between February and now, thanks to a dedicated Intel soldier known as Goritz. We have solved this one. We will keep you posted if anything changes, and there's a little link you can click on there from this link, and you can see what he's determined. He actually went there and took pictures, and it looks as though it's all been... There's not well. Again, that doesn't mean anything good. All that means is that the UN vans could be. I mean, they're not going to want four thousand UN vans in one particular tiny area. They're going to want to put them out over Florida and preposition them prior to uh, an evacuation, martial law, lockdown, whatever's going to happen. Okay, so they're going to want to put them prepositioned. So to me, it's more ominous that they're not there anymore because why would they move them out of state? You know, it would make more sense that they preposition them now, and now nobody's able to uh, to do this. Um, and a little more update to that: it says in regards to the UN vehicles at Reynolds Air Park uh, in um, Florida, as of the time the vehicles are confirmed to be removed, we have visual video confirmation as well as updated SAT images, satellite images, and there's a link you can click on. Satellite images. However, it looks as though as if the park serves as a shipping front for the CIA black bag front, whatever black bag means, black bag front with ties to the CH, CIA and DHS, Department of Homeland Security. Well, anyway, uh, again, it's just funny the timing they find this, and then it's the same time this update comes out. With Steve Quayle, Hawk, Greg Everson, and then all the other updates. And some of the updates I haven't sent out. I've, I've gotten ones from independent people emailing me about how, you know, this Army Reserve unit is gearing up and there's all this chatter going on and, you know, all these uh, National Guard units are being are being put on high alert and in case Florida's evacuated and these types of things. So, uh, it's not looking good for Florida uh, at all. Here's another confirmation. 
and I got this this week, but I really hadn't, I got it in the last couple weeks, but I really hadn't looked at this in depth. And I, and I, when I really looked at it in depth, I, it was something I really knew I needed to talk about. Uh, this is entitled, The Movie Knowing, that's the name of the movie, with Nicolas Cage, and the oil rig explosion in the Gulf of Mexico 2010. The internet is abuzz regarding the 2008 movie Knowing that includes a scene in which actor Nicolas Cage is watching the news on television. The clock shows 11.59 when the anchor announces a devastating fire burning out of control in the Gulf. He's sitting there in front of the TV watching this. The clock then flips to 12, and they're showing this close-up of the clock. It's not like something that's happening in the background and you don't see it. They make sure they get a close-up of the clock when it goes from 11.59 to 12. And then the anchor says, that story leads our headlines at the top of the hour. Midnight has long been associated with the end times, with the, quote, doomsday clock. The closer the clock is to midnight, the closer the world is estimated to be to global disaster. I hadn't thought about it in those terms until I read this. I'm like, yeah, that's true. And then it says one of the interesting things about the New World Order elitists is that for some reason they believe they must announce what they're going to do before they do it to you. This is, this is the reason that is, is because of the Kabbalah. Most of them, at the very highest levels, use the Kabbalah, which is the highest level of... Um, it's associated with, with Judaism. Okay, but it's the highest level of this form of witchcraft that there is. Okay, and again, this is what the uh, a lot of people that are absolutely in control, like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers, most of them are Zionistic Jews. And I understand a lot of people just blame everything on them, and a lot of people just blame everything on the Vatican, and a lot of people just blame everything on the Illuminati or the politicians or whatever. And again, it's a big group effort. And yes, there's different hierarchies, there's different rankings. Okay, but regarding the Jews, these are those that the Bible says they call themselves Jews, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Okay, so I'm not going to throw all the Jews, the baby out with the bathwater, because of these corrupt, corrupt ultra ones that are most likely at the top of the food chain. Uh, let's go further here. Often this predictive programming is done through the medium of Hollywood. But if you look at this from the perspective of those who seek to reduce human population down to about half a billion, a much more manageable size for control, then the possible motivations begin coming more clearly into focus. That this particular forecast, tucked away in the movie Knowing, was associated with the midnight hour, is something that shouldn't be taken lightly, especially considering the far-reaching impact that an unfolding disaster could have yet on civilization. That might be the black oil, which would, which would, uh, would be paired up, serves as no small paradox. Now, I actually did a teaching in my avian flu presentation when I did that 14 city tour back in 06, I believe. And part of it, I've got it up on YouTube now, is entitled "The Proof That the Globalists Telegraph Their Plans," and I'm just going to run through that real quick here. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and read some of these slides to you because I'm not going to... I, I can do a better job at this. The first slide I'm looking at here is, is there proof that the globalist elite telegraphed their punches? On September 4th, on September 4th, 2005, www.thestate.com, known as South Carolina's homepage, published a news story entitled, 12 Lessons That South Carolina Can Learn from Katrina. 
A quote from that article reads, In 2001, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, ranked the most likely and deadly disasters that could befall the United States. Okay, So in 2001, FEMA said, these are the three most deadly things that could happen in the United States. The top three were a terrorist, terrorist attack on New York City, we know that happened in 9-11, an earthquake in San Francisco, that's yet to happen, but that's on the list, and a hurricane in New Orleans, we know that happened with Katrina. The list was announced at a conference on September 10th. The next day was 9-11. FEMA said these are the three most worst ones. The top one being a terrorist attack on New York. And the next day, 9-11 happened. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty flagrant. Uh, let's go further here. So on September 10th, 2001... FEMA accurately predicted the three most likely and deadly disasters that occur before the night. And we, we gave you those three. Okay, and on the next day, the 9-11 attacks occurred. And the Pentagon war attack. Now, this is also precisely, and we talked about this last week, as the Illuminati card game predicted, which was from 1995. There is a card I'm looking at called Terrorist Nuke, and you're looking at an uh, explosion of the, of the Twin Towers... On this card, and this card was made in in 2000, or or 1995. You know, years before 9-11 ever occurred. And Stephen Dollins did an expose of this, and you can go look at that. I think you can even see it up on the internet. Uh, If you go to, uh, if you key an Illuminati card game up on YouTube, you can probably watch it. If that doesn't get it for you, do uh, do the name Stephen S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Dollins, D-O-L-L-I-N-S, on YouTube. I'm pretty sure you can watch it for free up there. And uh, let's go further. Now, so that was one confirmation. You could say, well, if that's all I had is one Illuminati card game. Come on, it's a coincidence. Okay, well, let's give you more. Now, and I'm I'm giving you the link. You're going to be able to look at the actual pictures. I mean, it took me like six months, five or six months to put this PowerPoint together. It was over 100, I think it was like around 150 slides. And I wanted to make sure I was impeccable with my documentation. Uh, this, I'm looking at now the cover. And you'll see a picture of it. The official cover of FEMA. Now, remember, they were the one that announced this. FEMA's 08 of 97, so September of 1997 booklet, that features a drawing of the southern skyline of Manhattan. Notice that the crosshairs... There's crosshairs, and they're trained on the south tower of the World Trade Center. These crosshairs are not dead center on the tower, but slightly off center, which is the very spot where the first plane struck it 39 months later. I mean, this is unbelievable, but it's the exact spot, okay, where the crosshairs are trained. And this is FEMA's Emergency Response Terrorism Self-Study Guide. Okay, so let's go further. Is there any more confirmation? And there's more than this, okay? I just give you some of the big ones. Now I'm looking at the U.S. Department of Justice manual, dated of um, June of 2000, so we've gotten a lot nearer, taught, which taught local law enforcement officers how to deal with terrorist attacks. Again, they're telegraphing in every way, shape, and form. 
The cover is imprinted with the seal of the U.S. Department of Justice and the seal of the National Sheriff's Association. It's the, just about the same picture as we saw in the last one. Crosshairs trained on the South Tower exactly where the plane, first plane struck it. And this is how detail-oriented they can be. Now, here's another image. This is image is located on page 45 of the Air Force Manual 10-100, Airman's Manual, August of 1999 version. The manual is archived, and I give you the link if you want to go check it out. Now, some of these links aren't good anymore because they're three or four or five years old, but they were good at the time that I did this. And you can't just go up on Google and modify something and repost it. You have to totally repost it as though it's brand new. And, and to do that is, you know, a huge, huge hassle to do something like that. Um, so, obviously... The number one and the number three FEMA predicted disasters have already occurred, meaning Katrina and um, 9-11. Therefore, one has to wonder when an unprecedented earthquake on the West Coast might be on the next on, on be next on the hit list of the Illuminati. Uh, and we've got more confirmation that, that that we've got a lot of stuff that um, that is um, come about. You know, before then, since then, after then. Here's a report entitled Californians Living on a Time Bomb Along Fault. This is from 327 of 06. Geologists consider the Hayward Fault the most dangerous in the San Francisco Bay Area. Remember San Francisco? If not the nation. Quote, it is locked and loaded and ready to fire at any time, said U.S. Geological Survey seismologist Tom Broker. It is a common tactic of high-level occultists-slash-cabalists to telegraph their punches prior to an attack on them. In this way, these individuals feel empowered when they see their victims totally powerless and unable to prevent their own demise. From the FEMA's infamous three threats, which is what we just read, the three worst things that can happen, which we mentioned previously, to the movie Oil Storm, which preceded and predicted Hurricane Katrina. Did you ever hear about Oil Storm? Well, let's read about it a little bit here. Oil Storm debuted on January 5th, 2005 on the FX network. Now, remember, these are PowerPoint slides I'm reading off. I'm giving you the link that goes directly to part four of my avian flu study, and you can click on this, and you can hear me talking in the background, and you can see these slides and these pictures for yourself. I'm not making this stuff up. Oil Storm debuted on June 5th, 2005 on the FX network. Less than three months before Katrina struck Louisiana on August 29, 2005. This movie accurately telegraphed the same scenario that happened with Hurricane Katrina in a documentary-style footage. Oil Storm explored the aftermath of a Category Plus 5 hurricane slamming into Louisiana crushing the city of New Orleans, thereby crippling the pipeline for refined oil that is in Port Fuchon, subsequently disrupting the flow of oil in the United States, making gas prices skyrocket, and that's pretty much what happened. They even have their own website for this movie, and I give you the website. Okay, so there's there's another telegraphing of I mean, these are flagrant, flagrant telegraphing. Uh, ABC then had plans... Uh, they had this bird flu thriller that they had, and it was I was actually on tour when this movie came out, um, and I couldn't watch it because I was I was speaking that night. 
but it was called Fatal Contact Bird Flu in America. It's set to air May 9th, reports Michael Starr at the New York Post. The movie stars Stacey Keach and Ann Cusack in a tale of worst-case scenario, if the bird flu virus was transmitted by humans in America. We've gone to great effort to make sure this film is accurate, co-producer Judith Verno said. Now again, my thrust in, in this tour was reporting on the avian flu, proactive ways we can protect ourselves, and these types of things. Okay, so... Um, the main thing I was advocating was the mild silver protein because it is the most stable and it is the strongest colloidal silver that I know of. Okay, and um, my website regarding that is Doctor Dash Johnson, www.drdr-johnsonjohnson.com. If you want to know more about that, um, let's go further. Uh, USA Today, in the movie Fatal Contact, a U.S. businessman visiting China is infected and carries the deadly virus back via jetliner in the USA. Before the movie ends, riots erupt, our mobs try to hijack vaccines, and the authorities predict that up to 350 million people worldwide will die. Now again, this is their agenda, and I believe the only reason it's been averted is because of the saints that have been praying about these types of things. But they wouldn't even know to pray about it unless they were informed. And that, that's my personal opinion, um... So, the motivation for this is also to see how much prior knowledge the Illuminati can give away so they can gauge the kind of public outcry that will be generated. For the most part, the signal that has been sent to the globalist elite is that the Americans are apathetic because there has been virtually no public outcry regarding the information that has just been presented. In their eyes, this is then the green light to implement their draconian plans even further. And I show a guy here on a cordless phone, he's just like Mr. Apathy himself. And that's pretty much, you know, the that part of it. And then I get it, I, there is a part in here also where I tell, I totally prove how they absolutely have the ability to manipulate weather, earthquakes, hurricanes, uh, all these things. And I give you all the proof from the government, not me saying this, but... Anyway, if you click on the link itself that I give you, you'll be able to see all the other parts to this. Um, there's quite a few parts, but it's worth your time. It's, it's, the information in there is really just as pertinent today as it was when I did the tour. So let's go further. Uh, this is from Cutting Edge again. In 1995, Steve Jackson of Jackson Games included an oil derrick blowing oil all over the world in his Illuminati card game. This is a card, this is a card I didn't have, um, last week, if you want to see that, um, and it's an oil derrick, and it's blowing oil all over a, a simulated globe. And it says, remember the premise of these cards is that uh, these are a role-playing game. Each card represents an action which the Illuminati is going to take in order to overthrow the present civilization so the new world order can be established. Okay. Current news stories indicate the oil spill cannot be stopped, and the oil is spreading through the Gulf of Mexico and into the Atlantic Ocean. In fact, our featured story reports that President Obama is even considering using nuclear warheads to stop the oil leak. Uh, this is from oilprice.net. The oil, the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico continues to spill black venom into the sea. The world has got to see the stirring images of oil gushing with decipherable great force. Even though enough to even turn a staunch critic towards environmental protection. Initially scoffed and sniffed at a radical solution in the form of a nuclear explosion is now trotting in as a viable option to stop the oil spill. Why? Because no effort should be spared, and so far the stale 
stratagems, stratagems used by BP have been futile. And again, the top kill and all that garbage they just tried, none of that worked. So now, the last report I've seen is that, yeah, they're going to try to now put some oil dome thing over. I thought they had already tried that, but um, uh, that that was going to be, you know, the next thing that they go to and the, and the next thing that they look at here. Um, so, this goes on to say, adding radioactivity to the oceans in order to try to stop this oil leak seems a very risky solution to consider. It seems that this kind... It seems that it is kind of like trying to swat a flea with a hammer. But that is not the point here. The point is that 1995, an occult leader, Steve Jackson, knew that one day the Illuminati would use an underwater oil derrick to spread crude oil throughout the world. Uh, To see other Illuminati cars, including the Pentagon on fire and the World Trade Center towers under attack, which is the card I just mentioned. You'll be able to see it on my PowerPoint presentation as well. They give you a link to click on. One matter is very clear. In 1995, the Illuminati planned to use an oil derrick blowing up to spread crude over a very large portion of the Earth. Reality is stranger than fiction. Okay, so let me... I accidentally skipped over a couple things here. I don't know how that happened, but... um, This is another article entitled, How the White House is Destroying the Gulf. This is from May 25th, 2010. Rahm Emanuel said it himself. He says, quote, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. I know we quoted that last week as well. But why continue a crisis or allow a matter to become a crisis through inaction? One must conclude that the White House wanted the oil spill to continue and to wreak havoc on the Gulf Coast of Florida and Louisiana. Well, again, just looking at what we looked at, how the Illuminati telegraphs their punches, how they clearly plan this and have been planning this for a long, long time. There's two cards for the Illuminati card, there's one which just shows the oil spill, and shows like this pelican all covered in oil, or bird, and then the other card which shows the oil well spewing oil all over the earth. So they've got two cards regarding this in that Illuminati card game. They're going to want to milk this crisis for all they can milk it for. And this is why when they started all this top kill stuff, I was very apprehensive uh, that it was going to do anything. And of course it didn't do anything. Um... Nothing substantive was done to stop the spread of the oil. A great deal of talking, but nothing more. No serious effort was made by the U.S. government to stop the flow of oil whatsoever, despite it being the power, having the power to do so. Like, I even heard the one thing where they had had that one oil spill in the Middle East, and they just brought super tankers in there, and they were vacuuming up the oil as it came up, because the oil will float. If it's not been dispersed, well, no, we wouldn't want to do that. No, let's, let's spray the most toxic dispersant we can spray on it, really create a lot more pollution, sink the oil spill so nobody can even get to it, and put it into microparticles so that it'll get in the food chain easier, and kill as many fish and, and, and dolphins and animal life as possible, create as much benzene as we can create to create a toxic, and kill as much plankton, which is the base of the food chain. And we'll let it keep spilling out and spilling out and spilling out and just give the American public all these excuses as to why we can't stop it. We could have stopped that thing the first day, I bet, with the technology that we have that is being suppressed. If the truth be told, we probably could have had the thing stopped. And again, there's all these other things that are built into these oil rigs typically, uh, blowout preventers and things of this nature and and a lot of fail-safes that are on the ocean bottom that I heard uh, a couple experts in the area talk about and 
You know, that's not even mentioned, though. Uh, let's go further here. No serious effort was made by the U.S. government to stop the oil. Um, few entities have the ability to, any, to do anything at a depth of 5,000 feet. And the U.S. government is one of the few that can. Despite this, it was more than a week before any NOAA ships sailed. No submersibles capable of dunking, dumping rock or concrete onto the spill and covering it over were dispatched to stop the flood of oil. If one piles enough rock or concrete upon such a well, the weight of the overburden will stop the flow. Inelegant, but it would work. Why didn't they do that? I mean, because they're saying now, the, the impression I'm getting is the only way that they're going to be able to stop it is by drilling these parallel oil, oil wells, that, and that won't be done until August at minimum. Well, why not in the meantime do everything you can do to, at bare minimum, slow it down? No, we just want to let it go unabated. We just want to let it flow out unabated. We're, we're powerless to do anything else. Lies. Uh, let's go further. Uh, no submarines fired wire-guided ADCAP torpedoes into the seabed surrounding the well to break up the concrete and the surrounding rock. Also inelegant, but if the pipe and the surrounding rock were broken up badly enough, remember the pressure involved, it would also stop the oil flow. Absolutely nothing of substance has been done by the U.S. government to stop the gusher. All the government has done is talk about the disaster, complain, point fingers, pontificate, but it doesn't accomplish much. The spill is not even a priority. Department of Interior Chief of Staff Tom Strickland elected to go on vacation in the Grand Canyon, which effectively showed how much the administration cared about the matter. Imagine if President Bush's top federal employees had done the same thing. And again, I'm not here to defend President Bush either, but uh, they mentioned that. We'd still be hearing about it a year from now from CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, and the other networks. However, because those media support this administration, the White House was given a pass. Even preventing the oil from reaching shore has been a matter of talk and of no action. Talk was made of starting the oil on fire and various measures suggested, but little was done. I mean, even if you lit it on fire, as soon as it comes up, you're burning it off. Well, yeah, it's a lot of pollution. Well, it's better that you burn it off and get rid of it than than, um, let it float around and destroy everything. Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal asked the government to have the Corps of Engineers push sand onto the interstices um, between the barrier islands as a temporary barrier to the oil. It would have been relatively inexpensive, and it would have prevented the oil from reaching Louisiana. Again, I'm not wild about that one. I think the oil would have found its way around it some way, and you know, you can only do that so much. Now the oil is on the coastline. Birds, plants, frogs, fish and other creatures are dying, fisheries will be ruined for at least two to three years after the oil is finally stopped. Well, that's probably conservative. So to recap, we have a federal government that didn't and hasn't acted decisively to stop the flow of oil, didn't act to prevent that oil from reaching the coastline, and now we have an ecological disaster of massive proportions. While the initial responsibility is on the oil companies, uh, the final responsibility is on President Obama as he has had the power all along to stop the disaster from happening at several points and admittedly refused to act. That is on his shoulders. Again, you never want to let a serious crisis go to waste, according to Rahm Emanuel. The guy that wrote this was William Hunt, former NOAA scientist and former Corps of Engineers material engineering tech. He holds degrees in environmental education, geology, and civil engineering technology. Uh, So, again, pretty much confirmation here that they're doing it on purpose. 
They're, they're, they're dragging their heels totally on purpose at this point. It's all by design. I mean, Obama hadn't even really, really made an real official visit until the other day. Before, he was there one other time, and the weather wasn't good or something, and he wasn't there very long. So, you know, he's, he's done all kind of things since then that proves he could care less. Um, next article, Goldman Sachs. Uh, is regarding Goldman Sachs. In what is looming is another public relations predicament for Goldman Sachs. They've been in the news all kind lately due to their corruption. The banking giant admitted today that it has made a substantial financial bet against the Gulf of Mexico one day before the sinking of an oil rig in that body of water. The new revelations came to light after the government investigators turned up new emails from Goldman employee. His name is Fabrice... He's also called Fabulous Fab. I mean, this guy is an animal. He probably walks around with one of those long cigarette holder things and a beret and an ascot, maybe a smoking jacket. I don't know. Anyway, Fabrice Torre, his nickname's Fabulous Fab. I need a nickname like that, you know? I really do. I I, I need to get on the stick. Anyway, um... Yeah, this was from the Goldman employee uh, in which he bragged to a girlfriend. Uh, with a name like that, I'm surprised he's got a girlfriend. I'm sorry, but my word, Fabrice, fabulous fab. Anyway, he bragged to a girlfriend that the firm was taking a, quote, big short position on the Gulf. One, He says, one oil rig goes down and we're going to be rolling in dough. This is a quote from the email. Mr. Torre wrote in one email. That's what that's what happened. Why isn't this front page news? Goldman Sachs because they're all part of the problem. They're all in collusion in they're going to suppress this. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is exactly what was going on. Um, this has happened quite a bit before the 9/11. I think we're going to talk about that in a second too. Next article. Uh, I watched this video, and I give you a link to watch the video if you want to watch it. But I'm just going to give you a synopsis. Matt Simmons is an advisor to the Oil Depletion Analysis Center, is a member of National Petroleum Council. Simmons is a chairman and CEO of Simmons & Company International and Investment Bank catering to oil companies. Simmons told Dylan Radigan that there is another leak, much bigger, five to six miles away from essentially the leak we're being shown on TV. Oh, this would be great. You know, five, another one way bigger, five to six miles away. And he says it's from the leaking riser, and blowout preventer shown on underwater camera. Oh, it's it's five to six miles away from the leaking riser and blowout preventer shown on underwater cameras. The government should immediately either debunk or admit his claim. If accurate, the bigger leak could have been caused by the destruction of the well casing when the oil rig exploded. That is Simmons' theory. Now, again, there's no way to really know this for sure, but this is what this expert is saying. There is another possibility, as well known, that there are previous accidents at Deepwater Horizon Rig. For example, Associated Press notes from 2000 to 2010, the Coast Guard issued six enforcement warnings and handed down one civil penalty and a notice of violation to Deepwater Horizon. Um, on 18 different occasions during the period, the Coast Guard also cited the vessel, this Deepwater Horizon Rig, for an for a, quote, acknowledged pollution source. So it's had 18 different violations for pollution. And as 60 Minutes reports, Mike Williams, the chief electronics technician on the Deepwater Horizon, 
and one of the last workers to leave the doom rig, said they were told it would take 21 days to drill the oil well when it was initially drilled, I'm assuming. According to him, but that actually took six weeks. With the schedule slipping, Williams said the BP manager ordered a faster pace of drilling. And he requested to the driller, hey, let's bump it up. Let's bump it up. And what he was talking about is that there is he is bumping up the rate of penetration of the drill, how fast the drill bit is going down. Um, Williams said Williams uh, Williams says going faster caused the bottom of the well to split open. Now again, this has not been reported on TV at all, but this is what the guy that worked on the oil rig um, from day one, the chief electronics technician on Deep Horizon. This is what he's saying. So he's got a lot better perspective than I do. But because they did this, it caused the bottom of the oil well to split open, swallowing tools and the drilling fluid called mud. We actually got stuck. And we got stuck so bad, we had to send tools down into the drill pipe and sever the pipe. Williams explained that well was actually abandoned, and the deep deep water horizon had to drill a new route to the oil. It cost BP more than two weeks and millions of dollars. So who knows what might be going on down there. I guarantee you we're not getting the truth. Here's another one. Media ignores Goldman Sachs ties to core exit dispersant. Here's another Goldman Sachs tie. They're the ones that bet against, bet on the short um, the day before the oil well blew. A substantial financial bet against the Gulf of Mexico. One day before the sinking of the oil rig in the body of water. That's what Goldman Sachs did. Okay? You talk about corrupt. In a recent New York Times article entitled, Less Toxic Dispersants Lose Out in BP Oil Spill Cleanup, journalist Paula Quinlan questions why BP is using the 100% toxic, 54% effective dispersant called Corexit to clean up the oil when 12 other dispersants prove more effective in BPA testing, EPA testing. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm advocating using any dispersants. I'm not. For the various obvious reasons I've already stated. I mean, it's just to me, it's common sense. Why would you want to disperse something and make it smaller and, and sink it? In the, now you, really, you can't ever get to it. Now you've really created an ecological disaster. Oh, we'll let, we'll let nature break it down. Oh, okay, that's good. A hundred years from now, you know. So what I'm saying is the problem they've created already, even if they stopped it today, is going to be horrific beyond probably anything that has ever been seen uh, as far as an environmental disaster on planet Earth. I, I, that's my impression right now. Because it's going to spread. You can look at, you know, uh, Chernobyl the nuclear accident, things like that. Well, that was isolated, and that is a body of land, and it's not going to... But And I understand the nuclear radiation can get into the air and stuff like that, but I think this is going to be greater, personally. BP spokesman John Pack defended the use of core exit, which he said was decided in consultation with the EPA. He called core exit, quote, pretty effective, and said the product had been rigorously tested. BP is not considering or testing other dispersants because the company's attention is focused on plugging the leak and otherwise containing the spill. Quote, that has to be our primary focus right now. Nalco, the makers of Corexit, spokesman Charlie Pajor, 
said the decision on what to use was out of his company's hands. Okay, so Nalco is the maker of Core Exit. See, when I first read this article, they said Nalco, and I'm like, who's Nalco? I'm assuming they're the makers of Core Exit, but they, didn't, they never said. Well, I had to go up to Nalco's website and go through all their product listings, and I finally found Core Exit, which is yes, they make, and I give you a link right to their website so you can verify it for yourself. Nalco spokesman Charlie Pager said the decision on what to use was out of his company's hands. He also declined to comment on EPA comparison tests, saying that the lab conditions cannot necessarily replicate those in the field. Right. The decision about what is used by others is made by others, not by us. Quinlan only looks at part of the picture. The Quinlan is the journalist that was reporting on this. She associates BP's investment in Nalco and the oil industry's representation on the board as the main reasons that Coexist was used instead of another one called dispersant, which EPA testing shows to be twice as effective and a third less toxic. Yes, BP is hedging its losses. With the profit, it will make with its investment in Nalco. BP's invested in Nalco. Guess what? Nalco makes the core exit. So BP's making money off that poison they're dumping on the ocean. Plus, I believe we've reported on this that they had the oil rig insured for twice what it was worth. So they're going to make out like a bandit. Yes, BP is hedging its losses um, with the profit it will make with its investment in Nalco. But who else benefits? Follow the money. The money also goes to Goldman Sachs in France. So BP and Goldman Sachs also are invested in Nalco. If for no other reason than Goldman Sachs is newsworthy, I think that their $4.3 billion purchase of Nalco, yes, Goldman Sachs owns Nalco, in 2003 would be worth mentioning. Especially in light of the short trade on Transocean. I believe that short trade is the trade I just mentioned that occurred the day before the oil accident. And also remember, Halliburton cemented the oil well rig 20 hours before it blew, according to the LA Times. I reported on this last week and weeks prior. Do you see how corrupt this is? Do you see the the level of wickedness we're dealing with? The shorts are another missing item in the business section of the time, meaning the short trade um, that Goldman Sachs... Uh, did a day before the oil rig went down. The shorts are another missing item in the business section of the Times, as it is as is any information on Goldman Sachs' role in 9/11 as well. By putting put options on American and United, for that matter, American and United Airlines, they were they uh, had put options on them, which was basically like doing exactly what they just did here. Goldman Sachs bet on these things. Literally, I believe it was the day before uh, 9-11 happened on the airline industries, knowing that the airline industries would suffer. And they made millions and millions of dollars. It really is that corrupt. So, um, okay, we're done with part two. I will go to part two next, or part three next.